I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, let's begin by going to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you now for this time, and we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, today we pray that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Lord, as we look at Deuteronomy again today, as we continue our working through that, Lord, I just pray that you would just show us, Lord. Lord, we understand that this is part of the old covenant law, and we, we read it and we learn from it as it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So Lord, let us see that. But Lord, let us see the, the principles that are here so that we can apply them even to our lives, Lord, because we can, we can learn from it. This reveals to us your character, your, your nature. And so, Lord, let us see what we are to learn from this and uh, help us to apply this to our own lives, Lord, so that we can live in a way that is honoring to, your, to you and your, your name, Lord. So, Lord, open our eyes today. Uh, open our minds. Let us see what is here and apply it to our lives. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 21 this morning. Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 21. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one of the pew Bibles there, and it's page 153 in the pew Bible. It's page 153 in the pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, then please take that pew Bible with you as our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and use it. We've been talking about maintaining the dignity of human life as we've been working through Deuteronomy for a while now. Uh, we're in what's called, what I call the Deuteronomic Law, and uh, this is really Moses, he's preaching on the law. And I believe here he is expounding upon the, the Ten Commandments and showing how they apply to the Israelites. And so we've, as we've been working through that, we are in a section now that deals with the dignity of human life. And so we've been talking about maintaining the dignity of human life and what that looks like. We understand that dignity is inherent in every human life because all human life is created in the image and likeness of God. So dignity is not something that's earned. It's something that is inherent to every person, every human being. And we've seen this as we've gone through it, and we'll see it even more next week. Uh, but we've seen this as we've gone through, there, through this, this text here that Dignity is inherent to every human being because every human being is created in the image and likeness of God. So uh, we are to treat as God's people, we are called to maintain the dignity of human life across the board. Uh, we've seen that we are called to preserve and protect human life as much as it is in our ability to do so. We're to promote the value of human life. Let people know their value and, and where, what the source of their value is, their image in God. But we also see that we are to treat 
all human life with dignity and respect. We kind of looked at this last week, right? It affects how we treat people. We're to treat all human life with dignity and respect. That means the dignity of human life, it should affect both our attitudes and our actions. It should affect our attitudes, how we think about people, how we feel about people, and how we act toward people. And so last week in our text, we, we noticed that dignity starts at home, particularly with husband and wife. And so we, are, we learned there that we are to treat our spouses with dignity and respect. They are a person created in the image and likeness of God, and we are to treat them with dignity. Today we continue kind of with that idea, maintaining the dignity of human life in the home, but now we move to treat the children. And so today we see from our text we are to treat children with dignity. We're to treat our children with dignity. And from this text, I want to show you three ways to treat your children with dignity. So three ways to treat your children with dignity. Now, as last week, today's text deals with some ancient cultural practices uh, that do not directly apply to us today. It's dealing with the Old Covenant, Israel, as God was establishing them as a nation. And so some of the things he calls Israel to do as a nation doesn't directly apply to us, but it still applies in some way. But we have to see how it applies to us through the context of Jesus fulfilling the law and the prophets, right? And so we're going to see that today. We're going to deal with some difficult text if you've read ahead, you see that there's a difficult text here, uh, but we're going to deal with that and, and talk about that a little bit. But we need to understand these texts in their own context, that ancient context. But then we need to, to look and see how they apply to us in our context today as New Covenant Christians. So we're going to work through that today. So as we begin now... As we begin to look at our text, first of all, we, you are to treat your children with dignity. First of all, by not provoking your children to anger. I know I'm pulling that phrase from the New Testament, but it's all right. I think it's reflected in this Old Testament text. Do not provoke your children to anger. That's how the first way that we see that we're to treat your children with dignity, not provoking them to anger. And we see this, first of all, in this text, and I will be going to the New Testament in and out through this because I think Paul's uh, uh, verse, uh, verses there, well, how Paul deals with it in the book of Ephesus, uh, pertains to and maybe even is drawn from uh, some of this text as well. So I'm going to be going back and forth there. But uh, first of all, we see that we, we do not provoke our children to anger by First, showing no partiality, right? How do you promote, how do you, how you uh, provoke your children to anger? Well, one way would be by showing partiality. And so don't show partiality. And we see this in verses 15 through 17. So verses 15 through 17, the first little section we're dealing with there. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have born him children. Now, let's stop right there. Uh, if a man has two wives, here again, we're dealing with an ancient text that's dealing with an ancient context that doesn't necessarily apply to us. 
like last week, as we observed, sometimes God recognizes some cultural things that are going on in the world, and without approving of, without endorsing those practices, He does regulate them. God doesn't endorse polygamy. But yet he allowed people in the Old Testament to practice polygamy. That was not God's design, and Jesus clarifies that in the New Testament. Jesus talks about what God's design was, uh, was when uh, he, he addressed the issue of divorce. God did not, uh, he does not endorse divorce. That's not his intended design. He intended marriage. He designed marriage to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime. But as Jesus says, as our hardened hearts come into play, as our sinful hearts come into play, divorce happens. And so, therefore, God regulates divorce. He he puts things in action in the Old Testament to keep people from being abused in the act of divorce. Here again... God doesn't endorse polygamy, but he recognized it as a cultural thing, and he, he regulates it to keep people from being abused. And so we need to recognize that. And we also see, and we're going to see this, that every time that we pervert God's intended order of things, things get complicated. Problems seep in. And that's what we see even in our text. Notice again what it says. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him children, and if the firstborn son belonging to the unloved, then on the day when he assigns his possessions as an inheritance to his sons, he may not treat the son of the loved as the firstborn in preference to the son of the unloved, who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the fruit of his strength, the right of the firstborn is his. Now again, we see here, That every time that we mess with God's intended design, things get complicated, right? When when people began to, when men started having multiple wives, living in polygamous relationships, things got complicated. Uh, This whole idea of of preferences came in, right? And and they began to, uh, to show partiality. We see that even in, in Abraham. God allowed Abraham. He didn't didn't endorse it. He didn't tell Abraham, hey, hey, why don't you go marry Hagar? No, that was Sarah's idea. When when Sarah couldn't get pregnant, she sent Hagar in to Abraham. Here, take my my servant Hagar to be your wife, and, and my seed will be through her. And that messed everything up, right? Because now conflict entered into the household. And so... They messed with God's design, and conflict came in. Problems came in. And so it is when we begin to mess with God's design of things. Now, we don't deal with polygamy today. Thus far, it's still outlawed in America, but uh, let's not be blind. It's coming, right? 
as they have already began to redefine marriage uh, to be between other things, right? Between men and men and women and women instead of how God intended. It's all coming. There's already people trying to push towards polygamy being accepted as, uh, you know, as marriage in the United States. So it's probably coming. But we still deal with this, right? Because even still, there's divorce. Divorce is not God's design. And, and I understand that, that in a sinful world, divorce happens. And beloved, some of you have been divorced and, and my heart goes out to you. But, but let's, let's call it what it is, right? Sin, I mean, uh, divorce is not God's design. And when there's divorce takes place, and there's children, especially when there's children involved. And now a new marriage takes place and you got the mixed family. Problems happen. Right? Problems happen. Because now you got his kids and her kids and, and how does these how do these dynamics work? Well, well, he favors his kids and she favors her kids, and now partiality comes into the household and so there's all kind of conflict that come in and so we see that every time we mess with God's design problems occur and special attention has to be made to to weed out the problems uh, in those relationships but this also could happen in non-divorced homes right this this can happen anywhere a parent can prefer this child over that child. We, we see it in the case of Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac favored Esau. Rebecca uh, favored Jacob. And there was conflict in the home. So it doesn't have to be a, a divorced home, a mixed home. It can be in any home. But we need to be careful not to show partiality. Now, of course, here in our text, it's dealing again with an ancient, con uh, ancient practice where the firstborn was to receive a double share. We don't understand that. Why was that the case? Well, in that culture, in that context, the, the firstborn son was to carry on the family name and the family business, and so he, he became kind of the chief. Nowadays, we, we have our children, we raise them up and send them out into the world, and they go here, there, and yonder. Back then, they typically stayed together. And so the the eldest son would continue the family name and he would manage the family affairs and, and he became kind of the chief of that clan, that family clan. And there was more financial burden upon him because he had to care for his parents. As they got older and they couldn't work anymore, they didn't have a 401k. They had the eldest son to take care of them. And so there was an extra financial burden on him. So the, he... he was to have this double portion because there was more burden on him and it would not be fair if the father preferred this other son and gave him the double portion instead and so God regulates that he says no you can't show partiality you're not to show partiality in that because if you show partiality in that now conflict comes into the home you're provoking your children to anger you're provoking conflict and anger and resentment all coming up in the home, a home that's supposed to reflect the, the love of God. 
And so you're not to provoke your children to anger by showing partiality. Now, I also want to include what Paul says about this in Ephesians chapter 6 because he adds a little bit more to this. I think he adds a little bit more to the conversation. So I want to flip over there while we're on the subject. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And notice what he says here. He addresses the fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And he contrasts that with rather bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what's Paul addressing here? He he may be including partiality in that, but I, I think Paul addresses another issue that could cause problems with your children at home, a, a way of not showing them dignity, not treating them with dignity, and that is by going to extremes. By going to extremes. Uh, now, this can be seen in two ways. First, it's seen in over-discipline. Treating your children overly harshly. Treating them with harshness. It, it, he calls us to discipline and instruct our children But he's saying as you you discipline and instruct them, don't provoke them to anger. Don't be overly harsh. Don't over-discipline them. We can do that, can't we? We can do that. We can go to extremes here and cause resentment in our children towards us and how we raise them. As commentator Andrew Lincoln notes, fathers are made responsible for ensuring that they do not provoke anger in their children. This involves avoiding attitudes, words, and actions which would drive a child to anger, or excuse me, drive a child to angry exasperation or resentment and thus rule out excessively severe discipline, unreasonable unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross intensity to a child's needs and sensibilities. By being harsh towards them, by over disciplining them everything they do right you've seen people do this everything their child does they're they're under the thumb uh, really limiting what they are to do and we got to put limits on our children right there's we got to put those boundaries there that's part of discipline and instruction we're to put those limits there but we're not to be overly harsh in that we're not to be overly harsh in that we're not to abuse them well we can see this Even in some parents who are kind of lenient in their discipline, but when their child gets on the ball field, oh, they can't do anything right. 
You're swinging too fast. Oh, you're swinging too low. Get your head up. Get your glove up. Do this. Do that. All from behind the fence. Instead of allowing the coach to coach, uh, parents are, are yelling at their children from behind the fence. How do you think that child feels when daddy is screaming at them? And I've heard daddy screaming obscenities at their children at some of these ball games. How humiliating is that for that child? We need to be careful not to provoke our children to anger even by over-disciplining them or being harsh towards them, overly harsh. But we could swing on the other end of that pendulum as well. There can be under-discipline. There can be this leniency that would also provoke them to anger. You see, children need and want boundaries Pediatrician, mother, and best-selling author Dr. Meg Meeker says, when rules and boundaries are set with respect and love, kids feel safe and loved. Right? When, when those boundaries are there, children feel safe and loved. When that discipline is there and they don't have to wonder, they feel safe and loved. They feel that security. When they're let to just run about wild, there's no feeling of safety there's no feeling of security which can also bring resentment in our lives marybeth and i've had the opportunity to to feed in different children along the way god has put children in our lives that uh, we are able to to pour into to influence and i remember one young young girl back in seminary uh, this young girl, she liked to come over, her and Gabby were good friends, and so she would come over to our house every day. Her parents had no boundaries for her. They let her out in the morning. She ran wild all day, did whatever she wanted to. Don't come in until uh, sundown, right? It was kind of one of those deals. And, and she had no boundaries, no limits, no discipline. And so you can imagine... When she came over, oh, man. And finally, one day, I was like, I just sat her down, and I said, look, we want you in our house. You are welcome in our house. But we have rules. And if you will come in, and you will listen to our rules, and you will listen to our instruction, you are welcome here anytime. But if you won't listen to our rules, if you won't listen to our instruction, you can't come in completely changed her attitude completely changed her attitude now her and gabby still got in trouble don't get me wrong kids will be kids but now she listened and she obeyed when mary beth and i told her to do something and it completely changed her attitude toward us she loved us she loved coming to our house. She loved coming there because she felt safe and secure in our home. She became like a, another daughter to us for that period in our lives. She wanted the, that, those boundaries. She wanted that sense of, of, of security in her life. And so when we disciplined her, when we told her, no, you can't do this, yes, you can't do that, when we set those boundaries, she loved it. 
And she treated us with greater respect. We treated her with dignity. And she returned by treating us with dignity. You see, children need those boundaries. They need that discipline. Now, this is not about how to discipline. That's for you as a parent to determine. But your child needs discipline. They need those boundaries. So don't under-discipline. Don't be too lenient. But don't be overly harsh in those disciplines as well. Do not provoke your children to anger. Rather, show them dignity. Treat them with dignity. Second, treat your children with dignity by raising your children in discipline and instruction. Raise your children by by uh, raise your children in discipline and instruction. That helps to show them dignity. That treats them with dignity. We see this in our own text, and here's the difficult text. Here's the difficult one that we're going to have to deal with today. But uh, starting in verse 18, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Told you that was a difficult text. Uh, we get to this text, and a lot of people say, where is it, does this come from? Stone their children? How is this loving toward your children? How is this treating your children with dignity and respect? Well, one, we need to understand, again, we're under a different context. This is the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. You also need to realize and remember that the, the sanctity, the purity of the covenant community was of utmost importance under the old covenant. They were to, to, to rid themselves of anything that would contaminate their purity. They were a holy people. They were to be a holy people unto the Lord. And anything that contaminated that purity, anything that, that might be brought in influence the community and lead that community away from God it was to be done away with one way or the other we either send it out of the nation or destroy it from the nation one or the other now we're in the under the new covenant right and, and so but that that same that same principle still applies we're not to allow ungodly influences into our lives personally nor are we to allow those ungodly influences into the covenant community that's why we have church discipline right under the new covenant we don't stone people but we do administrate uh, administer church discipline and sometimes that calls for us disfellowshipping a person because they're living in open unrepentant sin doesn't change our love for them, 
but we can't allow the evil, we can't allow sin into the community to infect the, the community. So we have to protect the community. But now let's look at this from the perspective of, of dignity and how do we treat our children with dignity because this really gets to that. By the way, there's no evidence in history that this law in particular was ever administered in the life of Israel. And Jesus makes no indication that it was uh, ever lived out. But nevertheless, we, we see here that this is focusing on treating your children with dignity. Notice, first of all, that uh, the, the mother and father, they disciplined their child. Uh, this is not a case of a, a lenient parents who allow their child to, to run wild, and now they're dealing with the consequences of that. Mother and father bring the child to the elders. We've disciplined him. We've done all that we can, and he's still stubborn and rebellious. You see here, we see in the text the, the parental responsibility to discipline and instruct their children. We treat our children with dignity and respect by disciplining them and giving them biblical instruction, raising them up in the fear and adoration of the Lord. That is our responsibility. As parents, that's our responsibility. And we do no favors to our children when we don't discipline them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Because here is the parental goal. That's the parental responsibility, discipline, and instruction. But here's the, the parental goal, and this gets to the point. Our goal as parents is, is to see our children flourish. We want our children to flourish. We want them to be something. We want them to have a, a joyful life and a productive life. We want them to flourish. How do they flourish? How do our, children's, how do our children flourish in, in this world, in this life? Well, one, by respecting authority. Because that is that issue here, Right? That is that issue. That's what he, he gets to when the father brings the complaint to the elders. He says, and they, they shall say to the elders of the city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. The problem with his son is he's stubborn and rebellious. He is rejecting authority. In this case, the authority of his parents. And that's where authority really starts in a, a person's life, isn't it? That's where we learn to respect and honor authority in our lives. That's why we have the, the commandment to honor your father and your mother. Because there's where we learn to respect that authority and obey that authority in our lives. Which then, as we've already seen in the commandments, that leads to respecting governmental authority. Which then ultimately ends in respecting God's authority. Because God is over all. So, so do you see the progression here? If a child, instead of learning to respect and obey the authority of his parents, instead of learning to honor father and mother, he rejects that and he rebels against father and mother, that leads to him rebelling against governmental authorities in his life, like police officers, judges, other officials, which ultimately then would also lead to him rejecting 
and disobeying the authority of God. You see, we teach our children to honor our authority as parents so that they may learn to honor governmenting authorities and ultimately they may honor their ultimate authority, God himself. That's why not honoring a father and mother are, are a big deal. Disrespect leads to disrespect of all authorities across the board. We want them to respect authority so that they may flourish. But we also want them to be productive members of society as well. Look what he says there as he goes on there. Our son, this our son is rebellious and stubborn. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Not only is he rebellious, but he's also a glutton and a drunkard. In other words, instead of being a productive member of society, he is a leech on society. All he's interested in is himself getting all that he can. He, he is a glutton. He's just taking in all everything to himself. He's a drunkard. He's just all worried about himself. He is a leech. He is a parasite on the community. He's draining resources instead of producing for the community. Wow. America doesn't have that view of folks much anymore, does it? Far too often we see people producing children who are a parasite on the community, give me, give me, give me, instead of producing and flourishing for the betterment of the community. You see, God says we should produce offspring that are productive. They flourish. And as they flourish, the community flourishes. Because they're investing into the community. We need our children to flourish. We want our children to flourish. We don't want them to be a hindrance on society. We want them to flourish and be a productive member of society. Paul gets to that same point, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that, you may go, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, our text here in Deuteronomy might uh, bring more light to that. That might live long in the land. Uh, but, but, but you see the idea here, this idea of, of the promise is, is flourishing. It's flourishing. Now, this doesn't mean that if you honor your parents that everything in life is going to be lovely and great and wonderful. That's not that kind of promise. But there is a general promise here. When, you learn, when children learn to obey their parents, when they learn to honor their parents, there's a general principle like the Proverbs, right? There, there's this general principle here that that produces flourishing. Instead of being a drain on society, they're a productive member of society. And generally, in general, goes well for those who learn discipline, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
it generally goes well. How does that? How is that the way? Well, think about that. Think about if your child gets stopped by a police officer. Anybody ever got stopped by a police officer? Yeah, yeah, I see a lot of hands. Uh, most of us have been stopped by a police officer, but, but you think about it, when, when your child is stopped by a police officer, will it go well with them if they smart off to the police officer and disrespect him? No, it's not going to go well for them at all. At the very least, they're going to get a ticket, right? What could have been a warning is now going to be a, a ticket because they smarted off and didn't respect authority. What about at a, at, at a job? How about at work? If your child respects the authority of their, their boss, it's going to go well for them. But if they disrespect their boss, what? Well, guess what? They're probably going to get fired. And there's a lot of people that can't hold a job down today because they don't know how to respect authority. The general principle is true. If you teach your children to honor and respect authority, generally it will go well with them. And they have an opportunity to flourish. Proverbs 13, 24 says it well. Whoever spares the rod, that is spares discipline, hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. A lot of parents avoid discipline. And they think, oh, they're showing love towards their children because they're, they're not disciplining wrong. They're lazy and inevitably they love themselves and don't want to step out of that comfort zone. They love themselves more than they love their child. They hate their child and they, they, it will not go well for their children. If you love your children, treat them with dignity. By showing them discipline and instructing them in the ways of the Lord. So treat your children with dignity by not provoking them to anger and by raising them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Third, treat your children with dignity by raising your children in the covenant community. In other words, the church. Raise your children in the covenant community. Raise them in church. The old African proverb goes like this. It takes a whole village to raise a child. Man, there's wisdom in that. This proverb recognizes that child rearing is a communal effort. It takes more than just the parents. It takes parents. It takes grandparents. But it also takes, especially in our case, the whole covenant community. It takes the church. We need to raise our children in the church. We notice that in our text even. They are to raise their children. They were to raise their children within the covenant context, the old covenant context. They, they're taking their children. Once this young man refuses all authority of his parents and, and he's acting like a stubborn, he's stubborn and rebellious and a glutton and a drunkard, they take him where? To the elders of the city, to the covenant community, the authorities in that covenant community. They say, we can't do anything with this guy. you got to help us. And so that was important back then, and it's still important for us today. Man, raise your kids in church. 
And I know we don't have a lot of young parents in here. I, I, I get that. But I got to preach the text, and there's probably some, maybe, maybe there's some watching online. But we have some who are going to grow up to be parents as well. And so hear me. Hear me, youngsters. As you grow up, as you get married, as you have children, raise your children in church. Don't get caught up in all the cycles that are in the world today that are drawing our families out of church by the masses. There's a reason that so many of our students today are leaving the church when they get to college. It's because their parents have taken them out of the church before they got to college. When ball games became the priority, when dance became the priority, when cheer became the priority instead of the covenant community. Raise your children in church because the church is here to invest in them, to help you raise them in the fear and adoration of the Lord. Raise them in the church, bring them to the covenant community. So that they'll have a chance to stand up against all the world's ideologies that they are going to face when they get into university. When they do face when they get out into the secular world in a job. Raise your children in the covenant community. Notice what Paul says there in Ephesians again. Children. Obey your parents. Has that ever struck you? Paul is writing this letter, and, and, and in that day, they would, he wrote this letter, and it would be read in church, in the church service. Paul doesn't say, parents, tell your children. Paul says, children. He addresses the children because the children are in the church. They're there in the church. They're part of the church. They're not in some other room. They are in the church because they are a part of the covenant community. Raise your children in church. Raise them under the authority of the church. Raise them under the authority of the church. These parents take their child to the uh, their ch child to the, the people of the city, but sometimes maybe parents need to bring their children to the church. We see Jesus establishes the process of church discipline. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15, starting in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go tell it him his fault between you and him alone if he listens to you you have gained your brother but if he does not listen take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses if he refuses to listen to them tell it to the church and if he refuses to listen even to the church let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector sometimes parents you can do everything right. You can raise your children with discipline and instruction and do everything right, and they're still rebellious. What do you do? Take them to the church. Sometimes the church needs to be called to 
enact church discipline, even on perhaps your child. Raise them in church. Raise them under the discipline of the church, under church authority. Treat your children with dignity by raising them in the covenant community, by raising them in their church. Your goal, our goal as parents, your goal as a parent, our goal as, as your fellow workers in the cause, as the covenant community, our goal is to see our children flourish. To see them flourish. First of all, we want to see them flourish in Christ. We don't see them come to know Jesus and, and have a relationship with Christ and flourish in Christ, but we also want to see them flourish in our community to go out into the world and take the love of Christ to other people and to be a positive impact on the community instead of a negative impact upon the community. Therefore, treat your children with dignity so that they may grow and flourish in the Lord. Now again, even if you, you treat your children with dignity, even if you do everything right, there's still that chance that they will reject your authority, that they will reject all of your efforts and fall away and become stubborn and rebellious. We have to realize that. We have to realize that. And when this happens, our only hope is to look upon the one perfect Son who lived in perfect obedience to his Father's will and was obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. We look to Jesus because he died for our sin and your, my sin and your sin and your child's sin. And when it comes down to it, we raise our children with discipline. We give them the instruction of the Lord but ultimately, the only thing that will eternally change their heart is Jesus getting in there. Take them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Let them see Jesus because Jesus can change the most rebellious heart. Jesus can change it and transform it. When you're frustrated, when you're fed up, when you think it's useless, nothing else can be done, take them to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. Take them to His throne of grace. Put them under His authority. Put them under His power. Give them to Jesus. Because Jesus can change the most stubborn heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, as a parent, I thank you for the privilege of, of being a parent. And Lord, I pray that I, I have always and will always treat my child with dignity. To treat her with respect. Lord, because she is created in your image and likeness. And so I lift up every child in here, mine and every other child in here, I lift them up to you, O oh Lord, and pray, Lord, that we as a church would be faithful to pour into these young lives. Let them know your love, your grace. 
in every way so that, Lord, they may grow up to know you and flourish in their relationship with you and flourish in this, this community. Lord, I bring them all to you and pray for your power to work in their lives. And Lord, if there's a rebellious soul listening today, Lord, I pray that you would touch their hearts. Let them see Jesus. Transform them by the power of your Holy Spirit. That they may know the eternal hope that only you provide. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.